Hello, this is the Smiling Traveler podcast. I'm Ottmar Braunecker from Austria. My guest today is Leslie Gewin from Australia. Leslie, an ordinary country girl born of the land in uh, Tasmania, Australia, 66 years ago. She has an inner drive and mission where she has taken an impossible life and made it possible. A tragic existence found magic and human disorder found order. After 47 years in service as a medical professional and overseas volunteer, she is now retired, living in the quantum field happily ever after, moment by moment, day by day. <laughs> <laughs> she, <clears throat> she's, uh, she says she has done it all, been it all and given it all, but there is more. Welcome, Leslie, to my show. Thank you, Ottomar. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here and very pleased to be sharing this interview with you. Thank you so much. So, yeah, I just admit, uh, as I just said, ready or not, here comes life, says life. That's your subtitle of your book. And I'm not as well prepared as I wish to be, but I think that's perfectly fine. So, um, yeah, born as an ordinary country girl. What do you do you mean by that? Actually, <laughs> it, it sounds well, sim simple, but I think you have something to say to that. Well, I like to think I'm a very ordinary girl of the land. I was born to some early settlers that were all returned servicemen as from the war. And I was the first little girl in a long line of boys, lots of uncles, male dominance, um, and then a little girl arrived. But of course, Back 66 years ago, girls weren't very well accepted. They needed to have boys to work the land and being early pioneers, they needed pack horses to actually work the land. And uh, so I was a bit of a surprise package. Okay. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I... I... I, I think most of the people, they, they can't even imagine his life because I, my, myself, I grew up in the city of Vienna, in a huge city in, 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 yeah. in Austria, actually the capital of Austria. And I, I just know this, this kind of stories from, from my mother, actually. Yeah. Uh, she, she grew up uh, in a time when there was not mu not much, it was after World War II, and she told me quite a similar story. <laughs> so it would be a very similar life to your mother's, Otmar, yes, yes. because you know most of the most of the girls that came along then uh, had it had it pretty tough. And um, you know, I remember my father's first words. He, he was a farmer and I remember him mm. looking into the basket and seeing this beautiful, innocent little girl. I remember looking up at him and I remember him shaking his head in disgust that such a thing would arrive to him, a girl. And all he could, his only response was, send her back, she's got the wrong ear tag. 
meaning that's how they tag their cattle, you see. And so being a girl, no one knew what to do with this little girl. And so I was actually a problem to the men from day one because I was a curious, innocent child. And I was particularly interested in life. So I I was very curious and um, I was very full of joy and the men did not respond to that because life was serious and hard and all about work and business. I remember as a little girl, you know, always wanting a dressing gown. Mm. It's a strange thing, a dressing gown for a little girl. I dreamt about having one, but was never allowed to have a dressing gown because in the household, you know, when you woke up in the morning, your feet had to hit the floor and you had to head to the dairy and out to the fields and out getting the cattle. And so there was no time for a dressing gown. And so night time, there was no time for a dressing gown of a night because when you finished in the fields, it was late and dark and your back was, you know, bent over and it was bedtime. Mm. So everything was about work and sleep. Very simple life. (laughs) It was a simple life and it was a very hard life. Mm. And, um, my only saving grace was going to be, um, well, the fact I wasn't a boy, I didn't fit anywhere and I had to learn very quickly to work twice as hard as the boys. Um, so that's where I set that hard work up very early. I had to work twice as hard. Um, I had to be right in front of the boys, even to survive, even to get a meal. You know, you had to earn your keep. So I, So I got very, very creative. But the interesting thing is father said, my only saving grace would be that I might get an education one day and I might make someone a good, good housewife. That's what I was destined for. Mm -hmm. But of course, when I got to school, I was a very diligent student, very curious, very keen. And I didn't know why I couldn't form the letters. So no matter how the teachers tried to teach, I had a learning difficulty and I was born dyslexic. So I was wired all back to front. So now, you know, it was my next big challenge. I was now a dummy in the corner because I couldn't read and write and I couldn't learn. No one really knew why I couldn't learn because the men and the people, they just thought I was disobedient and disabled and really of no use for anything, you know? Actually, I just realized you you got labeled from everyone. You are de- this, you are that. And yes. Actually, and those actually, I just rea- realized that you have so many abilities, like we all have, but you seem to believe it as a little girl that you're unable of doing anything. Well, that's what they would have had me believe. But this little girl was very curious and very different. And I was very defiant, very defiant and very determined. I... I wouldn't be told and I wouldn't be shown 
And because they couldn't teach me, um, what was I going to do in this world? But there was some little part of me that came in with me that never forgot that I was connected, I guess, to another realm, another world, another, the place wherever I've come from, you know. I, I had this connection that never forgot who I actually was. This human body and this human life sort of almost felt like it was borrowed, like I just slid into it somehow and arrived here on planet Earth. And I remember as a young girl saying to my mother, where are all the nice people? You know, because people were, people were so horrid and, and the men folk were so cruel and domineering and, you know, all they knew was violence and abuse and torment. And I, I said to mother, just in absolute shock, where are all the nice people? Because I thought I was coming to a nice world. She nodded and smiled and said, sweetheart, the world is full of nice people. If you can't find one, be one. Great. <laughs> That's a great lesson. <laughs> so I've carried that right through my life. So wherever I come across, no matter how the people seem, mm. I guess being wired back to front and a bit different, I have the capacity to see the other option. Mm -hmm. And you're living it, I can see. <laughs> you're smiling all over the face, though you're telling me uh, your struggle from your childhood. Yeah. And you're, yeah. you're smiling. That is, that is so amazing to me. Yeah, because, you know, the smile comes from the heart. Mm. You know, and that... That can't, that's the thing that really can't be touched. You can trample on it. You can break it. You can do damage to it. You can torture and torment. But, you know, Nelson Mandela was a great advocate of mine. And he said when they locked him in prison and all he had was those bars and all of that terrible treatment he got, they couldn't touch that part inside him. They couldn't get in there and touch that. They could, they could create situations and circumstances. And so I see my life very similar. The world has trampled upon it, you know, mm -hmm. trampled yeah. on the field of my heart. But the essence, the divine essence inside of me, it, it just keeps coming back and it just, it goes down and a few good breaths and back it comes again. And it comes with a, um, it's very interesting when I, when I sort of got round to writing my book, um, I, wa I wanted to write about the hardships of my life and what I made of them. Mm -hmm. I always had a sense when I first arrived here on planet earth, I was here for, relieving human suffering in some way. But I, I had no idea that I would need to walk that journey and mm. find my way out of that, that whole scenario of suffering in order to take the hands of others and help them find their way through it. 
there's one part of your book what I just remembered that you had a deep connection to animals. They were somehow your friend in, in your childhood and I guess still today. Um, yeah. How, how did this influence your life, this relationship to animals? Well, it, it was animals because being a farm girl, they were like, like people to, to, you know, mm. to the city people. You would have other people. Because the people in my life, the, the, the horrid boys and the neighbourhood boys and the male uncles, you know, all of those people weren't very kindly people around me. So I didn't choose to spend much time with them and I never felt safe in their company because I always felt very threatened, you know, like mm. my survival was threatened. So I, at a very early age, started chatting with the animals and speaking with the cows and calves and um, mm. when I rescued baby pigs and things like that that the old mother pig had laid on, I would nurture them and... Um, put them in a woolly sock and, and sort of like cuddle them back to, back to life, really. I, mm -hmm. I, had, a, I had a natural gift of, of sharing and um, whatever I connected with, I could visibly see a change. I would see a change in the cows and calves and pigs and horses. But the weird part about it is then I started connecting with trees and flowers and plants and mm -hmm. what I realized there's a lot of different realms out there you know realms yes. of reality yes definitely I, I, I just remember too that um, you had somehow a traumatic experience about the piglets when yes. you rescued rescued them, I think it was together with your mother. Yes, we and had a How did this story night, end? Of a night time, mother and I would, um, we didn't have torches then, we had uh, only matches in a box and we would light the matches of a night to show our way to the pig sheds. And she would put a hand in under the old mother pig and there'd always be some babies in there that she'd laid on. Now, she would pull these pigs out and I would wait nearby with a bucket and she'd slip them into the bucket and we'd take them off home to the homestead where there was a big fire. And I would put them in a woolly sock, you know, mm -hmm. to keep them nice and warm and I would rub them and cuddle them and she would climb up into father's cupboard and she would get the brandy down and we'd give them a teaspoon of brandy. I suppose that was medicinal brandy, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> the, of course, for the piglets. And we would, I would put them round the fireplace and the hearth and I, would, yeah, I had this vigil. I needed to watch over them so I wouldn't go to bed. Even as a little girl, I would fall asleep in the armchair. Mm. And when I was asleep, mother would pick me up and put me into bed. And, of course, when I would awake in the morning, I would be in bed. And I fly out of bed and I was most upset and I'd run out to the fireplace because I knew what would be happening. The pigs were all gone. Father had got rid of them, as, as they do in the farms. You know, they throw out the runts of the litter and the weak and 
and mother was uh, red ochreing the hearth, and it, it's just as if nothing had happened. Mm. But as a little little girl, I was so sad and so heartbroken and so desperate to be saving the animals. And but time and time and time again, it's like I would be very excited creating this new life, caring for the animals, and then there'd this be something would happen, and then there was this absolute heartbreak mm. and destruction. Mm. So all, all the way through my life, it's been an extremely interesting life where there's been this huge joy and huge creation of life. And then there's somehow there's been this huge death and dying and destruction, you know. So there's yes. been this enormous creation and destru destruction happening. Hmm. So, hmm. so what was your conclusion of, out of this event? Well, I guess it was just life was happening, mm. but all of those different facets of life and particularly the very traumatic childhood, that's why I said I chose an, impo an impossible life and made possible because all of the scenarios that I was presented with, I did my humanly best to manage and uh, really be everything that I was as a, as a heart-centred, caring little girl, but able to keep moving. I think the first part of my life, and right up until recently, has been absolutely lived in survival mode. Mm. You know, I've been surviving... Um, <laughs> really just surviving the childhood, but even into nursing and things like that, I, I really wasn't accepted because I, I learned differently. So, and not being able to read and write was a very difficult place to be. So through all of those different things in my life, I've learned, I guess, I guess I could say I'm what I call an experiential learner. I've learned by mm. experience. And then what it's shown me about that experience. So they're, they're the tools of my trade. They're what make up me. Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to, to ask you actually, how, how did you become a nurse? I mean, I see where you come from because you like, like to nurse all these animals. Yeah. And... Well, uh, number one, I needed to be out of that out of the family and out of that situation and out of that uh, environment. So as quickly as I could, as I got along the years, of course, I never passed any subjects at school. Uh, you know, when you can't learn the ABC mm. and you're unable to know numbers and figures and, you know, I would see all sorts of symbols and things. Um, I now know that they were the hieroglyphic symbols and, uh, you know, different ancient symbols I would see, but I, yeah. but I couldn't, for whatever reason, I couldn't um, do the ABC. But I did learn when I got my sights set on nursing, I knew I would have to be able to learn some way or I wouldn't be able to do the traineeship. Mm. And so I started to teach myself by rote. So I would work out at high school. I got to high school and I worked out which lesson we're going to have tomorrow and which paragraph in the book. And so all night long, I would write by rote, K 
kept that on the map, you know, to learn a sentence. It took me six months to learn that one sentence by writing it every night, six and eight hours, till I got the, the letters and the words into my brain because they wouldn't go in. And so when I went, came to nursing and uh, I got an interview and was the next city over and I got my gran and granddad to take me for the interview. And the old matron laughed at me. She said, I've never had anyone come before me with a fail in every subject and not even done biology. How do you think you're going to manage here? Said, I didn't know, but I really wanted to be a nurse. So she talked for a little while and then she was a very old matron and she just dismissed me and said it was ridiculous. I needed to go back to the farm and make someone a good wife. Again, and it's like, so she dismissed me and pretty well tossed me out the door. Nought out of 10 or three out of 10 for any subject. Um, I had no passes in anything. So I went home and I, I just looked this way and that. And, um, and I looked after the old farmers in the neighbourhood and all sorts of things, housekeeped and trying to get ready for the next interview. Yeah. So I rang and made another appointment. So I got four interviews over a period of the next eight or ten months. And on the, on the third one, she told me never to come back. But on the fourth one, I went back again and she opened the door and saw it was me. And she said she didn't know whether to laugh or cry, the old matron. She said, and she said, you know, you're the most, what did she say to me now? Um, I was the most annoying student, student nurse that she would ever find, she said. So she said, what I'm going to do, you're so persistent, I'm going to give you a traineeship. And the reason I'm going to give it to you is because I'm retiring next week and I won't have to be responsible for all your failure. <laughs> so, that's how I got it. so that's how I got into nursing. I didn't mind. I was in. I was okay. And I was okay mm. to be ridiculed and shut down and shut out. But I got in. Amazing. So in I went. I mean, and the struggles then started again, you know, so, so they cool. continue on. Uh, there's one amazing story after the, the other when I listened to you and it's all about persistence, what I just realized. Uh, yeah. I couldn't agree more with you. I, I, I did something similar when I applied for a job and I was really persistent and the guy whom I wanted the interview with, he said, finally, after one month, calling him almost every day, said, okay, when can we make an interview? You, <laughs> that you don't, uh, don't call me anymore. <laughs> yeah. That is, yeah. And, that is and how it know, works. Really, you see, but what I've learned the world, because the world doesn't understand that I'm different and they can't mm. categorise me and put me in a box, you know, they mm -hmm. can't, when, when they're dealing with me, it's like, don't ever ask me for my opinion because you'll most likely get it. And I've learned to usually only give that opinion when I'm asked for it mm. because most people get very hostile and very offended because because I see things and because I know things and because it's very interesting. I think, uh, I don't know if you know about archetypes or not, Otmar, but 
Yeah. I've come with a um, with an archetypal sort of past of my physical life, and mm -hmm. it's a justice archetype. So the justice archetype is what comes with that is I tend to expose, you know, if you're trying to hide something or fool me or do something that's deceitful or whatever, my character has a bit of a uh, justice. I like justice, you know, and mm -hmm. I like equality. You know, mm -hmm. I'm very big on uh, equality. I was just recently in a, just recently in a, in a airport and I was sitting having my cup of tea and there was a, a man, um, he spoke a different language and he was trying to articulate the, a coffee for he and his wife at the counter. Mm. And the girl behind the counter sort of dismissed him because she couldn't understand him and didn't have any time for him and she much more interested in the businessman behind him. Mm. And she had her sight set on him. And so these people struggled to articulate what they wanted. And I just noticed she bypassed them and stood them aside and went for the uh, man in his business suit mm. to serve him. And I remember I just couldn't help myself. I just stood up and took a breath. And it was almost like something came over me. And I said, excuse me, uh, but these people were trying to order white coffees and you didn't take their order, mm. you know. And so I have that manner about me when I really see injustice happening before my eyes. There's something in me that likes to uh, bring it to someone's attention and put it back into equal balance and harmony. Yeah, yes. Now, that sort of a person in the world can be yeah. very... Um, can be not very well liked, particularly amongst the doctors and, um, mm -hmm. you know, people controlling people that, that, that think they want to be in charge and that they're going to boss other people around. And, you know, we, we all have a place and we're all human beings. And um, yes. I've absolutely yeah. loved my 47 years in, in um, the medical industry. But, of course, the last 20 years in mental health, I've seen some horrendous things on people with, uh, you know, mental ailments, mm -hmm. not actually sort of having the exact rights that they should, you know, and not treated with the, the courtesy and the kindness. So a person like me in the organisation, it's risky business. <laughs> I... I, I just see something what we really have in common um, is that, that people try to put us in a box, but we don't really fit in this box. And actually, no. we don't want to fit in this box. No, um, no, because uh, you, we come with something in our heart and it's like a, um, for me, it's like a, a seed. It's like a driving force that just won't be won't be silenced and won't be stifled and it won't be shut down it just comes bursting through and it it wants a place of expression so i think that's our gift that we're bringing to the world you know but yes yes definitely talking about expression how did you 
your, your book come about actually uh, because that's a way how you express your story to the world Yes, my, my book came about because it was time for the book to come about. I had no intention on writing a book, um, but suddenly all of the, I've been a very diligent, keen student all my life and I really had desired to learn, but I didn't come with the brain for learning academic programs, but mm. because I thought I needed to, to learn things in this world, to be here. Um, I've just kept filling it with courses and programs and whatever, but there came a time that the brain was full and it didn't want to keep going and it didn't want to keep facing the hostility of the world and, you know, the heart had been smashed and broken so often that I think the time had come and for some reason, or I got, I, got up, I got up for work one day and my memory had all gone. Hmm. It just vanished. And so I didn't know what to do with all of that without a mind and a memory. And I didn't know where the Vegemite was or how to drive the car. Or, so I couldn't go to work. So I knew work was done and I knew life was done as I knew it. And I was... Mind you, I was pretty angry at the creator now giving me this new job of not being able to function with a functioning, seemingly functioning mind. Mm. So I was a bit worried that I'd have lived all of this life and it was all going to go to waste. So I started jotting down some things to, rem to put on paper because I, I really wondered if I'd been here at all, if I'd spent all that hard work with all those experiences and putting all that information in my brain. And then suddenly somehow the plug being pulled on the bath water <laughs> and all the information draining out. Oh, it was such a waste. I couldn't work it out. Mm. And, you know, I had a little meditation and what, what came to me in meditation, it said that I, I was never here for learning that intellectual knowledge. I've come for something else my brain and my consciousness was being used for something else here. Mm. And so now it's all emptied out and I would have a period of uh, integration of it all. And yes. then I would start my real work. And right. I, I didn't really understand all of that, but I thought the best thing I can do, I thought, I thought, Who's pissed me off the most in this life? I thought, who's really bothered me? Because I was feeling pretty angry and tetchy about it. And I thought, well, the church had upset me apple cart when I was, at, it was, I was going to Sunday school. They'd done some damage. And so I thought, well, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to put, because the Bible and the Ten Commandments were very big, but I thought, I'm actually, Ten Commandments, I'm going to write the chapters as Ten Demandments. I and found this theme in your book with your you structure. <laughs> yes, and I thought, I'm going to put, you know, thou shalt be seen and not heard, and I'm going to write mm -hmm. a little story about that, and thou shalt know scarcity. So I thought, I'm going to put the demands that were put on the little girl, I'm going to put them in the book, mm -hmm. and I'm going to put a story in each demandment, 
and I'm going to put the book together. And I thought, I don't know how this is all going to happen because my mind had gone and my memory had gone. But I started to write and the stories flowed. It's like there's no memory, but it's like I remember everything that needs to be remembered. It's such a great story. I, I actually want to write a book by myself and it's it's for me now I it gets everything clear how it could work out that how you laid out the structure yeah. so that you can remember everything what was essential for the book. Yeah, but it just came. It, yes. I didn't have to go in and go looking. The one side was willing to channel that that anger and upset and whatever in into the book it it became the fuel and the the passion to 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 really put the structure down and what this life had been about and put it into because while it's all in your head there's just sort of random stories but once it comes mm. out of your head and onto the book you can i put it into some format and i didn't have anyone to help me and I couldn't use a computer, so I just typed one finger, you mm. know, and tried to get it typed up. And then I did some courses on how to write a book and how to publish it. And, you know, I went to all of the right places, the Hay House people and all those people to help me um, publish this book. But when I got to the requirements of, uh, you know, 10, 20 steps, I couldn't get past step one. I didn't have the understanding on how to publish it and how to, how to do it. So after I'd had rejection and, uh, you know, just tossed aside because I, I didn't know how to do it, I went to the little local printing press here in my town and I said to the man, have you ever, have you ever printed a book? And he said, yes. And I said, can I have a look at it? He said, no. <laughs> I thought, oh, my God. So I said, would you print me book? He said, yes. <laughs> and so a friend of mine in New Zealand did me the beautiful cover picture and some people wrote some stories and I put the story in, took it down to the little local printing press and he printed up 200 copies for me. And that's right. that's all I could afford, right. well you know. Done. That was a few thousand. And so I had a friend then that I needed a website, and so she put together this very flash, fancy website. But of course, I couldn't operate it. I couldn't, I couldn't manage the website. I didn't have the, I guess, that intellectual functioning to manage that website. So the website went by the wayside. So I didn't really sell any books. Mm. Uh, I sold a few when my friends in uh, the family that I uh, was connected with when I volunteered in Nepal, they had mm. a terrible landslide and they lost all their computers and networks and they needed some money to, you know, rebuild something. Mm. So I suddenly got an idea and I sold a heap of my books and sent them the money, you know, <laughs> so that worked. That, that, that worked well, but since then, I haven't really had the interest to sell the book, but I've had the real interest to gift it. Yes. And I thought, you know, if people really want to buy, they can buy, but I have a, I really get a joy out of gifting it to people. And then I know the right people get the book. I, I think I, 
Yeah, I, I want to help you to get this book out to the world because your story really needs to be heard. It's such an amazing story how you uh, overcame this struggle as a little girl and made a beautiful life out of it and by helping other people. Um, yeah, well, it was my way of balancing the scales, Otmar. You know, its life it's, was so horrid and so awful and so much suffering the only relief I could get would be to give to another and serve you know all of those old men in the country where I live you know where I grew up and then the families in Nepal you know I guess I've come with a, a beautiful compassionate heart and uh, I'm very fortunate to be able to share that with the world I remember I remember sitting with my dad in his final moments and um, mm. I said to him, Dad, you've lived till you're 92 or 90, whatever. And I said, you know, all of your life, I've never once had your approval. Never once have I ever pleased you in any way. But I want you to know, Dad, I never stopped loving you. Beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. You know, I saw a tear in his eye as he passed and I mm. I think to myself, this is what this little girl did when she came to this family. I was able to survive and live that life with, with these very, um, I, I guess they were uh, damaged war veterans, you know, with their own wounds. Mm. And I never, never stopped loving him, you know. Right. So no matter how bad this world gets, Otma, no one can take that love from my inside of me and change that without my permission. That that is a great message for today. That yeah. love is the way to go. The way to go. And if, if you were ever to ask me what was the one quality I came to share with the world. And my quality is uh, I have the capacity and I live that life to love no matter what. Mm. It doesn't mean I tolerate and put up with treatment or, you know, that sort of uh, torment anymore, but I can appreciate and see, mm. you know, I can yeah. see through. It's like I have the capacity to see through past that to the soul of the being. I see a, an aspect that's not of this world and that's the place I connect with people. Yes, I just wanted to say, uh, we didn't mention your title of the book, Hide and Seek, but I love the si subtitle even more, Ready or Not, Here I Come, Says Life. That and explains that so well. <laughs> What is everything about? Yeah. Yeah. And with and, your and, permission, you know, I would love to call this episode Ready or Not, Here I Come Says Life. If I'm allowed yeah. to, to choose this, I would love to title this episode like that. That that would be that would be absolutely beautiful indeed. That little title came from a game that I played with my brothers and the neighbourhood boys because what they used to do is say, let's go, we're going to play a game. And they'd get me all excited 
and I'd think I was getting to play with the boys and they'd say, hide and seek, we'll let you go and hide first, we'll hide our eyes. <laughs> and before I would actually find a hiding place, they would jump on me to let me know I was caught. Mm. And so the reason uh, I always felt as a little girl that was so unfair and so unjust, you know, they didn't mm. give me a chance to hide. And so I felt life was a bit like that. It's just been coming for me, you know. So ready or not, here we come. Whatever is landing in front of me, it just seemed as if it's been sort of coming like an avalanche. But, you know, when I talk about um, the quantum field and the place that I, I talked in my introduction that I had 47 years in the medical field, but now I'm retired and in the quantum field, I like to think of this place as a really beautiful, uh, neutral place. And what I realised, the hide-and-seek also has the, um, the added bonus of, you know, we're born as divine beings into this physical body and we're so mm. much more than this physical vehicle. And so all the way through our life, we've actually been... We've been playing a bit of a game with the, with that creative energy, whatever we call it, whether it's God, source, divine, you know, it's, a, it's an energy. And it's, it's been about hide and seek as well. Mm. And I see it as like, um, you know, sometimes it's a divine uh, decision and sometimes it's, it's like a human decision. Yes. And, uh, and I think all the way through our life, we've been playing this little cosmic game of hide and seek as well looking for that quantum place, that divine, infinite space of possibilities, you know. And uh, so that, that could be seen as hide-and-seek as well. I love it. I lo really love it. It's your explanation about the title of your book. It's... Wow. It, it is really... I, I can feel it, what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and that's beautiful. That's a, that's a beautiful gift that you have, being able to feel it. Most of humanity have lost that, that gift to be able to feel it because a lot of people have had similar lives to mine or bits and pieces of lives. And in those lives, they cover that feel because it's too painful. Mm. And so, you know, they go off seeking some things to cover that feeling. I, I choose, I mean, I didn't always live that way, but at a certain point in my life, I chose to experience it, all these yes. feelings, whether it's fear, anger, sadness, or it's love, uh, or, and, and yeah, yeah, love, just love. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, so... Whether you want to sell your book or donate it or gift it, I still will put a link below this uh, recording so that people can check it out and can see where they can get it. Excellent. And and so they that can they can get in contact um, with you. Yeah, yeah that, that's lovely indeed. And, and if people would like the gift of the book, they only need to private message me with an email address mm. and I PDF it, you know, to people. 
So, uh, and, and if other people really, you know, choose to purchase it, they can do that as well. Either way is fine by me. It's, it's not about the money. It's about the, the choice. Mm. But I do say to people when I give the book, what brings me a lot of joy is that they will, they will then give someone else or share with someone else. So I love the idea of, uh, you know, um, of, ha- of sharing, sharing yes. is a is a beautiful quality, and that is actually, yeah. um, I think, what will bring humankind to this. What I think we both prefer to experience when we yeah. when we share things with each other. That is actually yeah. what what brings us together. So I really appreciate yeah. that you that you had the time to join me today, and I I, I really enjoyed our conversation. I I, I well, learned uh, really I, a I lot from you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank and you. Thank you very much. Thank you for recognizing recognizing my book and seeing it for what it is. And I think you know. It's really what I have left now and what I have to share with the world is my story, you know, because it's like with all of that, with all of that intellectual knowledge gone, it's like I remember my story and I think I, I can see that I'm a great storyteller. And what I notice is when my story is told, even just the essence of one little incident, there is a change in people. It's like a change in the energy because I've healed that life of mine. There's been great healing in that suffering. Mm-hmm. And when that, when you communicate with someone from that healed place, it creates a change in the other. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that is a beautiful word at the end. Uh, I... I actually wrote it in the description of my podcast. I want to change the world. And I do it step by step. With my podcast, I do it one interview at a time. Thank you. Thank you, Otmar. Thank you so much. I appreciate. Beautiful. So we'll enjoy the change. Yes. Be the change you want to see in this world. That's my motto. Thank you. So beautiful, I love it. Have a great day, and I definitely want to see you again in private conversation and also on an interview. Beautiful. Have, have a beautiful. great day. Thank you, Otma, and bye, and bless you, brother. Bye. Thank you.